Maybe you have found it true in your life. I know I have in mine, but I think the general principle is sometimes the greatest expressions of trust in God come in the deepest valleys of suffering, right? Actually, in the Bible, one of the greatest expressions of trusting in God comes at the moment of greatest suffering in all of human history. It comes from Jesus himself as he hung on the Roman cross, actually recorded in the gospel according to Luke, interesting enough, right? Because we're walking through Luke in our other sermon series. Jesus says this as Luke records it, Luke twenty three forty six. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And I'm saying that at that moment, Jesus experiencing the full range of pain from psychological to emotional to physical to spiritual, all of that in that moment. And there in that moment, the greatest moment of human suffering, Jesus prays one of the greatest expressions of trust. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The, the last words off of his lips is an expression of trust. And yet, here's the thing. When Jesus goes to make this expression of trust, he doesn't just make up, right? He doesn't just make up this prayer. He doesn't pull it out of nowhere. As he hangs there, about to breathe his last, he goes back into the book of Psalms and he grabs a prayer of David. And he puts that prayer of David that he's just grabbed from the Psalms and he speaks that prayer as his last words before his resurrection. The psalm he goes back and grabs from is our psalm today. You know, we're in this multi-year sermon series where we are not just walking through the Gospel according to Luke and walking through the book of Acts. We're also walking through every one of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. And today we step into Psalm 31. And it's in Psalm 31 that we find this, this prayer of David that Jesus, at that moment of greatest suffering, he grabs from and prays right before he dies. This is a significant psalm, and it has a lot to teach us. So, if you want, turn with me, Psalm 31. And right out of the gate in Psalm 31, as we pick up the first five verses, we'll see a pattern. And it's a pattern that will hold for the rest of the psalm. Psalm 31, we'll read verses 1 through 5. A psalm of David. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge. Be a strong fortress to save me, since you are my rock and my fortress for the sake of your name and lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. You see, verse 5 is the prayer that Jesus grabbed as the last thing He would say. This last expression of trust before He breathed His last. And the pattern of the cross is the pattern of this psalm. It was in this moment of great suffering that you had this great expression of trust. 
It's that pattern of both expressing trust and yet describing great suffering, praying for deliverance. It's that tension of both trust and suffering that we see there at the cross. It's the pattern of a psalm. And in these five verses, just the, the, at the front of the prayer, that pattern holds. Take a look. I've tried to color code it for us. The red is where David dis, uh, expresses his trust to God. The blue is where he is asking for deliverance from his suffering. And you can see it right there how the blue and the red just uh, go back and forth in, in these first five verses. That's six expressions of trust and eight prayers for deliverance. It's a back and forth, and it's that back and forth that just follows through Psalm 31. No coincidence that the moment where that pattern holds most true at the cross, Jesus grabs from this psalm to express his trust in God for the last time before he breathes his last. And so as we watch that pattern follow into the verses following, we're going to find that there is some application for your life and mine today. So we'll pick up, we'll keep going, watching that pattern continue, verse 6. David continues, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. For you saw my affliction and you knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but you have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed with anguish, my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Here as David continues to move into this prayer, he gives God a fuller description of all the things that he is suffering. And it's quite the range of suffering. It is psychological, it is emotional, it's spiritual, it's physical. Just take a look at that list of words that he uses. I've just pulled them from those verses. He uses, he describes distress, sorrow, grief, anguish, groaning, affliction, weakness. If you think a man after God's own heart like David always has things going right in his life, then you need to think differently. Because here is a man who is pursuing God and yet a man full of distress, sorrow, grief, anguish, groaning, affliction, weakness. I feel like those are words we can relate to. And yet in the midst of that kind of suffering, that range of trouble, David will reference something about God that he'll hold on to for the rest of the prayer. You see, in these verses, even though he experiences the full range of suffering, he also then says, but I hold on to God's hesed. You see, the thing behind the word love, the thing behind the word love in verse 7 is a Hebrew word that we've come back, uh, that we have uh, talked to, at, uh, talked about at length in our time in the Psalms at this point. This is the Hebrew word hesed. And hesed is one of the most used Hebrew words in the Old Testament to describe God. It's often translated mercy in the King James. 
It's often translated unfailing love in the New International Version. And here in the NIV, they've translated it love. And there are a lot of ways to describe God's hesed, this unfailing love. But just recently, we handed out um, these Bibles to these many families who have dedicated their children in the last few weeks, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And in the Jesus Storybook Bible, the author gives a definition for God's hesed. And so I thought, I don't think we can do better. Here's how the author describes this kind of love God has for his people. She describes it this way. There's the Hebrew word hesed. She says God's hesed is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always, forever love. That's God's hesed. And it's because of God's hesed, it's because of this never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's because of that, that as David walks through this valley of deep suffering, that he will not cling to worthless idols. Idols don't have that kind of love. David will hold on to the God who has a never stopping, unbreaking, forever love. But there are many, there are many who do hold on to idols. It references them in verse 6. And many of those that are holding on to worthless idols are causing great trouble in David's life. They are David's enemies. And so as David moves forward in this prayer, moving between expressions of trust and descriptions of suffering, he's now going to give this fuller description of exactly who these people are that are causing great trouble and the kind of trouble they are causing. Who are these? These who hold on to worthless idols. What kind of trouble have they caused, David? He moves forward. We pick up with verse 11. He writes, Because of my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. And those who see me in the street, will they flee from me? I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced. For with pride and contempt, they speak arrogantly against the righteous. Some of David's suffering is because there are bad people that are causing him great trouble. And yet in the midst of all the, all the trouble... Surrounded by his enemies, would you know that in the midst of all of it, he says in verse 14, but I trust you, Lord. I say you are my God. And then two verses later, in verse 16, if you if you caught it, he again references God's hesed. Second reference to hesed. And you know in the Bible when it's repeated, it's important. David is leaning in on this fact that God will not give up on him because his hesed, his unfailing love, will hold him through any valley he's got to walk through. 
and there is no enemy. There's not one person in the world that can separate him from God's unfailing love. You know the New Testament version of that? Romans 8, verse 37 through 39, where Paul leans on that same reality. It's where Paul wrote. This is the New Testament version, I think. He writes, you know, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as David held on to this never-ending, never-breaking, forever love, Paul knew the same love that is fully expressed in Christ. And so as Paul walks through his own troubles, facing his own crowd of enemies, he knows that no person, no power could ever separate him from the love of God. And so you wouldn't be surprised, right? That as David comes to the end of the prayer, moving between these two, where he is expressing both great trust in God, but also dealing with the reality of great suffering, he moves to the end of the psalm. Just great praise. So let's end there. We pick up verse 19. He writes, How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all, on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry of mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him. But the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart. All you who hope in the Lord. David doesn't doesn't end by saying all who hope in the answer to prayer. He says all who hope in the Lord. These last several verses highlight the Lord. David wants an answer. But in the end, he wants the Lord's dwelling. He wants to be with the Lord. And then for the third time, there in verse 21, he mentions one more time. The wonders of his hesed. For the third time, he repeats God's unfailing love. It's really the bedrock that holds David throughout. In the end, what David wants is God himself. God's the hero of the story. Answered prayers. Man, we want, we want many things, but in the end, David wants to dwell with the Lord. And that's where he ends. The hope is in the Lord, and he leans in on God's hesed. So this back and forth that we see in this psalm, this psalm that Jesus himself, at the moment of, moment of greatest suffering, this psalm, the psalm that he grabs from, I think it has a lot to say to us. Could there be more we, have, we could say about the details of the psalm? Sure. But let's land the plane with a few things we could do just in everyday life. 
So let's go. There's a range of things. All right? So here we go. First one is this. When I think about, like, how in the world does this even get down into my everyday life, your everyday life, I think the first thing we can take away is we need to use this psalm for our personal prayers. And and here's why. Because sometimes we don't have language to fully... we We don't have the language... For prayer, like one of the things that we that, that the Psalms do for us is they give us words to pray to God when we don't know what to pray. And sometimes they give us the words that we would never pray because we think prayer is supposed to be sanitized. We're supposed to always be prim and proper in our prayer. What you see in the Psalms is sometimes it gets real raw when you talk to God. And so maybe if you're suffering, literally, if you're going through a really difficult time or something has been going on with a family member, maybe something in your extended family, but man, it's caused great trouble or really just in your own life, great trouble. And you're like, I got to pray about this. But the tendency is to say, well, I have to pray like I just got to pray really nice prayers and I really can't question God and I can't tell him exactly how I feel. David, particularly here in Psalm 31, throws that right out the window. I think Psalm 31 gives you words to pray when your life's real messed up for whatever reason. For example, take a look at these verses right here. Would these not be verses we could pray? Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. Anyone in distress? I'm not asking you to really raise your hand. I hate when people do that. I'm just saying, like, I'm sure some of you got some distress. Well, go ahead and pray those words back to God. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish. My years with groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Anyone wake up this morning weak? I'm sure plenty of you did. Did you, do you lack sleep because of your anxiety, because of something at work? This is your prayer. God, be merciful to me because like, I'm waking up very weak because all I did last night was worry. Show me mercy. I am struggling. Man, use Psalm 31 to, to pray to God. That's one of the great gifts of the Psalms. The second thing is, I think is this. Let your suffering point you to God. Okay? So like, this is almost intuitive in some ways, and yet in some ways it's so foreign. Because when we're weak, We feel bad about ourselves. We should be stronger. No, none of you should be stronger when you're struggling. You're human. That's why we need Jesus. Because we needed someone stronger than ourselves. And so when you are weak, let that weakness point you to God. Now here's the thing that really, this is the reason this point ever came to my mind, was one scholar in commenting about the whole psalm said this, very short, but man got my attention. Our afflictions expose our weakness, yet our weakness exposes God's strength, right? It reminds me of what Paul wrote when Paul, being afflicted, we don't know what, he just calls it the thorn in the flesh. The Apostle Paul struggling, praying, God, take take this trouble from me. And he, he describes how he prayed to God multiple times, take this from me. And this is what happened. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Listen, if you're like me, when I get weak, I struggle, I'm anxious, I, can't, I, I get stuck on something I can't let go of. I, I'm like, I'm Googling for the answer. I'm trying to find the next self-help advice to get me back to center. I'm trying to find balance. What's the new tea? What's the latest coffee? What's the latest book? Is there a podcast I can listen to? I just need to get rid of my weakness. And yet, the Bible is very clear. In your weakness is where you will find God most strong. But when I Google, trying to find the fastest answer, I want to be strong. It doesn't mean you don't find an answer and you don't try to, you know, find solutions for our struggles. That's not the point. But man, we run from our weaknesses so quick that in running away, we leave the truth that in that weakness, you will find God to be all the more strong. So just let whatever you're struggling with, I'm not saying don't try to get rid of it or pray it away. Man, pray to God. But don't forget that your weakness is also exposing God's strength. So maybe just don't navel-gaze so long. Does that make sense? Is that something you'll say? Navel-gazing? Like looking at yourself? Okay, never mind. I didn't manuscript that one. That just came to me. Obviously not by inspiration. Um, so, just when we struggle, be careful not to, not to be looking at yourself so long that you miss the God who is right there. Alright, third thing. This is, this, is, um, this is the one that gets under my skin the most. So you know this is where the next step's going. But let's get this one. Let's get it out of the way, then we'll get to our next step. The third thing is this. God Himself is the ultimate answer to our prayers. Right? Now, I'm not convinced that's always the way our prayers work. In the end, right, David wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. Did he want an answer? He wanted an answer. But in the end, he wanted God. His hope was in the Lord. One scholar makes a comment on this. And man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. So I figured you need to be hit too. Here we go. Here's what he said. The key is the confidence that we have in who God is. The problem is we don't often want a God. We want a genie. We just want someone to grant our wishes. David longs for a refuge, a rock, and a fortress. And then he immediately reminds himself that he already has all of those things. God does not just meet our needs. God is what we need. He himself is sufficient. In suffering, we must learn to run to God to get God. Not run to God to get something from God. You do know, right, this is just as much for me as it is you, that when you are healed of your cancer, you're still not saved. There will be life beyond cancer. It will be with God. So sometimes we have to be very careful not to just go to God for something else as if the something else is where the salvation is. Sometimes we just need to pray, God, I want you. I might have cancer 
And God, I am praying that you take it. And that is a godly biblical prayer. But in praying for your healing, never forget that the healing is not your salvation. God is your salvation. When David walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he doesn't get to the end of Psalm 23 and say, and I will live healthy forever and ever. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. So I just think Psalm 31 puts in front of us the reminder, God's not a genie. Can you pray for him to bring good things and healing and restoration? Absolutely. But if that is all our prayers are, you've turned them into Aladdin and the genie. What's the genie's name? Is it genie? It's genie. Aladdin is the character. Dang it. Okay. I just need to stick to the script and stop trying to come off. Okay. You get the point. If your prayers are only for things, he's no different than a genie. So let's think about a next step, right? Like, so how could this, this, and I really want to press on this last application point. How in the world could you get that down into your everyday life? Well, I've been a big fan of these here recently, so I thought just keep with the theme. I printed you a card. I printed you the card. Now, some of you um, have picked up these little blocks that you can set the card in. Uh, There's six on each side of the room. That's all we have left. I'll order more so you can even put more in your house. But if you have one, don't take one. Unless you're greedy and you need salvation because of your greed, we'll give it to you. Um, but uh, these little blocks, you and many of you have them, you just set these cards right down in that card. And I'm hoping this week this will be the reminder that keeps us focused on one of the things we're seeing happening in Psalm 31. Uh, here's the next step in just words. Pray this. God, you are not a genie. Ultimately, help me know you better. So maybe you like you have a doctor's appointment coming up. And man, let pray to God for that appointment. But then, also pray this. And so here's the card you're going to get uh, today. Here it is. So I've added a layer of fun. Never done this before. I put a picture. Okay? With a cross through it. You know, like a mark through it. Just as a reminder, throughout the week, you just remember this. God is not your personal genie. He is God. And in the end, what is best for you and what is best for me is not mental health. It is not your, uh, a healthy body. It is God. When you get God, you'll get all the other stuff thrown in. You won't get it until the new heavens and the new earth, but you'll get a lot closer here. When you get God, you make him the focus, you get everything else. You make anything else the focus. You don't get the thing you're focused on and you don't get God either. So just remember, as we pray, God, you are not a genie. Ultimately, help me know you better. So let's pray as we close. God, you are not a genie. Ultimately, will you help each of us know you better? Thank you for this psalm of David. It blesses us today and it blessed your son on the cross. We are so thankful for your infallible, inspired word. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus, and together we say, Amen.